Staying focused is important for overcoming stress. Today, we're learning how to stay focused in the seventh message in the series, Peace In, Peace Out. The message is entitled, Staying Focused. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Well, go ahead and grab your Bibles, if you will. Turn to the 23rd Psalm, the 23rd Psalm, as we conclude a series of messages we've been involved in for several weeks now called Peace In, Peace Out. This is the seventh message. If you haven't had the opportunity of watching the others, they're online there for you in our archive. Just go and download them, free of charge, available for you. But I would encourage you to catch up on where we are as we wrap up this series together today. Peace In, Peace Out. You can't give what you don't have. You can't impart peace to others unless you have peace inside of you. You can't make peace with others unless you have peace in your own life. See, when you're troubled, you create trouble. When you're troubled, you generate an atmosphere of agitation. And that's why we need to experience God's peace in our lives. And this Psalm, the 23rd Psalm, is actually a, a roadmap, we might say, a, a guideway, a guide path to uh, receiving and experiencing the peace of God. You are very familiar with this passage, I'm sure. You've probably heard it before. Maybe you have memorized it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup flows over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, when we read this psalm or quote this psalm, we have a tendency to think that David was sitting back somewhere in a nice, quiet sort of resort atmosphere and just looking upon the beauty of the land, and he pins the words, the Lord is my shepherd. He was nothing like that at all. Most theologians believe that David wrote this psalm in one of the most difficult periods of time in his life. It was a time when his very own son, Absalom, had made the decision to take the kingdom away from his father. And in, in all likelihood, David was going to actually be murdered. That was the plot, that was the plan, that he would, he would need to be assassinated so Absalom could take charge, could take over the kingdom. David receives news of this. He's brokenhearted by the fact that his son now is, is, is plotting against him. And David realizes that he has to leave Jerusalem. He has to leave the city of David. And he leaves, leaves his palace there. And he goes through the Kidron Valley. He goes out into the wilderness. He's been taken away from this wonderful atmosphere of success, the atmosphere of his palace, the atmosphere of his, his, his victories in life, winning battles and conquering and expanding the nation of Israel. But now here he is out in the wilderness, walking barefoot into the wilderness, crying, weeping, realizing he has no idea what his future holds. But as he is out in the wilderness, he notices some things that are very familiar to him. He looks around and begins to see sheep and he sees shepherds and he sees uh, flocks that are grazing in different pasture lands. He's uh, aware of something that takes him back in his own life to his earlier years when he was a, a boy shepherd, when his, son, when his father David had sent him out to take care of his, his sheep. And David for many, many years would sit in the, on, the, on the hillsides of Judea and he would watch over sheep. He was a sheep herder, he was a shepherd. And he understood now what it meant to be a shepherd. And he reflects back from his life onto his present circumstances. And he writes the words, the Lord is my shepherd. He's reminded now that although he had been a shepherd king, he was now not a shepherd king potentially anymore, but he was God's sheep. He was one of the sheep of God's 
pasture, and he reflected upon who God was and what God would do in his life as his shepherd. Actually, it's a compound Hebrew name, Jehovah-Rohi, the Lord is my shepherd. And David begins to think about all these different elements of his life, and he reflects on all these aspects of who God is to him, and how God guides him to the pastures and leads him through the valleys and takes him to the table land. And then he comes to this last verse, this final verse in the 23rd Psalm, verse number six. It's a verse that really brings all of this passage, all of the focus of David's heart to a concluding moment. It's a very special moment because David is declaring something about God. He's declaring something about who he is and his confidence in God. And verse number six, he says these words, he writes these words, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Listen from the New Living Translation. Again, Psalm 23, verse six, surely, notice again that word, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. David concludes this Psalm on a very high note, a note of certainty, a note of praise. And in this verse, we were discovering how David found peace in this very difficult set of circumstances, this challenging time in his life. He had the right focus. He had his focus in the right direction. See, focus is so important when you and I are trying to find peace. If you don't have the right focus, you'll never have the right peace in your life. See, a lack of focus creates disturbance inside of you. Have you ever looked at a at a, at a picture of you through a camera lens and you're trying to frame a picture and, and as you look through it, it's the, 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 the focus is out and so the longer you watch, the more fatigue comes to your eye or maybe you've tried to watch a movie somewhere and the screen wasn't quite quite right and uh, over time, that the, the, the lack of focus creates fatigue. It creates uh, a frustration for you. It, it agitates you on the inside. Anytime you're living in an atmosphere or with a perspective that lacks focus, it's going to have an effect internally upon you. And David learned that if he was going to have peace in his life, he had to have the right focus. He had to focus in the right direction. He had to stay focused on who God was and what God was going to do. And the same is true for you. The same is true for me, that if we're going to have peace, peace in so that peace can come out, you and I need to stay focused. In fact, why don't you say those words with me today? Stay focused. We hear it in educational environments. We even might say this to ourselves at times, get focused, uh, because focus is so very important. I'm gonna talk to you about three things that David, I believe, possessed in his life that allowed him to stay focused in this situation. Three things that you and I need as well. If you're going to stay focused in life, here are the things that you need to do. Number one, you need to guard, you need to protect. One of the most important things in your life, you need to protect your faith because faith leads to focus. Without faith, you're going to be an unfocused person. See, faith was in the very fabric of David's soul. David was a faith-filled person. We see this in, in, in the first time that he comes on the, on the scene in Israel, when he's in that Valley of Elah, and, and there's this situation where the Israelite army is facing uh, the Philistine army, and there's this champion, Goliath, that is intimidating the armies of Israel, and David steps forth with faith and says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he might defy the armies of the living God? And David steps up with faith, and he gets the five smooth stones, and he slays the giant. You see it Early on in his life, David was a person of faith and he maintained faith throughout his life, even in the crisis that he was facing when he penned the words, 
that we find in the 23rd Psalm. He was declaring his faith. David had something inside of his soul that carried him through the tough times that he faced in life. See, his faith kept him focused. Listen again to David's words. I love this first word that you find in both the NIV and the New Living Translation. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Again, the the, the verse number six in, in Psalm 23 from the New Living Translation, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Notice that word surely. What does surely mean? Surely says, I'm absolutely confident of something. I'm absolutely certain that if something is going to happen. I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, God's goodness and God's mercy and God's unfailing love is going to follow me all the days of my life. And I'm also sure of this, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He had this firm declaration. You can only say things like this when you have a firm faith in your heart. David was unshaken in his faith. He might've been shaky in his emotions, but when you get down to the very core of his being, there was a faith that could not be shaken inside of him. See, David's faith was not in himself. He was not declaring what he could do in the moment. He was not declaring how great he was. All of that was in in jeopardy, but David was declaring the greatness, the certainty that he had in Almighty God. Let's talk about faith for a moment. We hear the word all the time, but what does faith really mean? And what did it mean for David? And what does it mean for you today? I'll give you three things related to faith, actually five things related to faith. Faith number one is the way we relate to God. You can't relate to God without faith. Uh, Our whole relationship with God is based upon faith. Listen to Hebrews 11, verse number six. It is impossible to please God apart from, notice the word, faith. You can't please God without faith. And why? Because anyone who wants to approach God must believe both that he exists and that he cares enough to respond to those who seek him. So our very basic relationship with God starts out with faith. Second of all, faith is the way that we experience forgiveness and salvation. That word salvation means more than just going to heaven. It means that when we die and we have faith in God, but it it also means deliverance in our lives. So David had this understanding that if I'm going to experience God's mercy, God's forgiveness, and deliverance in my life, it comes through faith. The same is true for you. If you're going to experience forgiveness for your sins and salvation in your life, deliverance now and salvation for eternity, it all begins with faith. John 3, 16, you know the passage, for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who, notice the next word, who believes, that's faith, who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Romans 4, verse number three, listen to it. For the scriptures tell us, Abraham believed God, that was faith. Abraham had faith in God, he believed God, and that is why God canceled his sins and declared him not guilty. So faith is what not only connects us to God, it's essential to our relationship with him, but it's what brings us forgiveness in our life, it's what brings us salvation, and then it's also the way that we overcome adversity and overcome temptation. You can't overcome adversity or temptation without without faith. Notice 1 John chapter 5, verse number 4. And this is the victory, this is the victory that conquers the world. What is it? Our faith. And so how do you overcome things in life? You overcome things by utilizing your faith. Notice number 4. The fourth thing is that faith is the key to obedience to God. 
James, James chapter two, verse 14 says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? See, real faith moves you to action. If I will believe something, I'm going to act upon it. If I have confidence in something, I'm going to change the pattern of my life based upon what I believe in. So your beliefs determine your behavior. Your beliefs determine your attitudes. And so real faith will move you to act, behave in certain ways. It affects the attitudes and the actions of your life. And then faith is an essential part of our spiritual armor. You can't fight a spiritual battle without faith. See, David did not have any ability to fight Absalom in this situation. He didn't want to go after his own son. He had no desire to try to kill Absalom. But what, what he was doing is he, he was fighting a battle in the spiritual realm. See, our battles in life are not with people. David's real battle was not so much with Absalom. It was a spiritual attack upon his rule and reign in the kingdom. And so the same is true for you and me, that our battles are not with flesh and blood, but they're spiritual battles. And to conquer in the spiritual realm, you need to have faith in the promise of God. Ephesians 6, 16 says, in every battle, you will need Notice what do you need? You need faith as your shield to stop the fiery arrows aimed at you by Satan. Faith is simply believing in God, believing in the goodness of God's nature, and believing in the truthfulness of God's promises, believing that God is who he says he is, and that God will always do what he says he will do. And so we must guard our faith. That's your focus. How do I focus in on the fact that I believe that God is, and I believe that he's a rewarder of everyone that diligently seeks him. I'm gonna use my faith based on the promises and the instructions of God's word to fight my battles. I'm not going to fight them in a natural way. I'm gonna use the, the weapons of our warfare in God that are mighty for the casting down of strongholds. I'm gonna hold on to and guard my faith. The second thing that's essential, if you wanna stay focused in life, you gotta keep your faith focused, Guard your faith, but number two, you need to make sure you're giving your best. I'll tell you why this is important, because in giving your best, anytime you put your best into something, you'll always be focused. Think about it for a moment. If you're giving your best to your job, you're focused on it. If you're giving your best to reading a book, you're focused on it. If you're giving your best to studying a course, you're actually focused on it. If you're giving your best to a relationship, you're focused in the relationship. And so Focus always goes along with not only faith, but focus also goes along with actually giving your very best. See, giving in life is so important. Focus produces giving. Let me say that again. Focus produces giving. See, if we're living only for ourselves, and if our focus in life is only about us, it's going to be a very, very small and limited life, and it will always be threatened because you'll always be thinking about what can I get for me? What can I hold on to for me? And so anytime you get something, you have to hold on to it. And holding on to means that you become tense and you become nervous about losing things in your life. And so you, 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 the actual aspect of holding on to things actually robs you of focus uh, for your product, for a productive life. And it puts you in this attitude of an atmosphere of anxiety. But if you're going to experience the kind of life that David did in, in this battle that he was facing, you have to be a person who learns how to give. Give your best. Let me take you back to the 23rd Psalm, the sixth verse that we're focusing on, we're giving attention to today. Notice verse six again, NIV translation, surely, that's that word, faith, 
Keep your faith in, focus. Surely, God, your goodness and love will, what's the next word there? Will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want you to notice that word follow. The word follow, what does it mean? It means to trail behind. If, if a little dog is following you around, he's trailing alongside of you, trailing behind you, that where you go, that little puppy will go as well. It's to be in the wake of something. If you're on a boat and you're, you're traveling through the water, you leave a wake behind you. That wake is following you. And so anytime you're moving forward, there are things that are going to follow your movement. When you walk into a room, you bring something into the room with you. Not just your body, but you bring your attitude into the room with you. You can walk into a room and you can light it up with joy. Or you can walk into a room and put a cloud over everyone in that room. And so there are things that follow your life. And so David says, I'm going to focus on the things that follow me. I'm going to keep focused on my faith. And I'm also going to keep focused on what I'm giving. What am I, I leaving behind as I go? And so David says, I, I'm convinced of this. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. Goodness and unfailing love will follow me all the days of my life. Not only was it a statement of faith, it was a statement of commitment. I'm committed to leaving something behind. Everywhere I go, because I have received the goodness and the mercy of God, I'm going to leave it behind. I'm not going to be just someone that experiences, experiences it myself. I'm going to make sure that other people experience it as well. Let me stop for a moment and talk about that. Goodness and mercy, goodness and unfailing love. What needs to be the, the pattern of your life, the trail of your life, is this goodness and mercy of God. David says, as I walk with God, I'm receiving his goodness. I'm a recipient of his mercy. And so I want to make sure that I leave that behind everywhere I go. Can I ask you today, are you leaving mercy and are you leaving uh, goodness, the goodness of God and the kindness of God, the unfailing love of God behind everywhere you go? Does that trail you in your life? Is it following your life? Uh, that's one of the ways that you're able to experience peace is by not only having it in you, but leaving it as a trail behind you. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. What am I giving with my life? Not just what am I getting as I go along life, what's behind me, what's the, what's the trail that I'm leaving? And when I stay focused on what I'm giving rather than just what I'm getting, then my life will be lived in a much more peaceful way. Let me bring you to our third and final point today as we're wrapping up this 23rd Psalm. The third thing that's necessary is you and I have to get ready for forever. You know, our life is not just what happens here on earth. There is a forever. There's something beyond this life. David understood that he needed to focus on what was beyond this life. He could not control everything that would happen in this life, but he had a certainty, a surety, and a focus upon eternity. He says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He lived with a forever focus. He lived with an eternal perspective. He did not get caught up in the present problem, but he, he lived with a perspective that went beyond this life. And all the great men and women of the Bible lived with the same kind of focus on eternity, not just focus on the present issues of life, but a focus upon eternity. The reason this is so important is because it's what brings peace to your life. This life is not all there is. So there's some things that you need to do in your life. You need to grab hold of this eternal perspective, and you do that in three ways. Number one, you have to settle the issue of where you're going to spend eternity. Can you say, like David did, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever? Do you know that beyond a shadow of a doubt? Do you know, that you know, do you know where you're going when you die? 
See, there are really only two, there are only two eternal locations, heaven or hell. The Bible is very clear about that. Don't doubt it for a moment. Don't, it's not just what I say to you. It's, it's exactly what the scripture teaches. Two eternal destinies, one that is in the presence of God that's called heaven and one where we are eternally separated from God and that's called hell. And all of us, once we die, we will end up in one of those two locations. And the way you end up in heaven is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, that is, spend their eternity away from God, but have everlasting life. And so you've got to determine if you're in a right situation for heaven. If you were to die today, do you know where you're going? It's a very important question. Notice John, the apostle's statement in 1 John 5, 13. My purpose in writing is simply this, that you may believe in God's Son, and uh, uh, those who, that you who believe in God's Son will know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life. Let me read that again for you. My purpose in writing is simply this, that you may believe, that, that you who believe in God's Son will know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life. So when you believe in God's Son, you know where you're going for eternity. And then you need to view your present problems in the light of eternal, uh, eternal uh, atmosphere, eternal perspective, eternal realities. See, yes, we have problems right now, but they're not going to last forever. Whatever you're going through right now in your life is not going to last forever. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18, Paul the Apostle writes and says, These troubles and sufferings of ours are, after all, quite small and won't last very long. Yet this short time of distress will result in God's richest blessing upon us forever and ever. So we do not look at what we can see right now, the troubles all around us, but we look forward to the joys in heaven, which we have not yet seen. The troubles will soon be over, but the joys to come will last forever. Paul says, I'm going to keep an eternal perspective when I'm suffering, I realize it's just going to be for a short time because I know where I'm going. And once I get there, all the troubles will be worth it. God will have worked something in my life for an eternal purpose. And then you and I need to realize that what we do here really makes a difference. See, you're living now, if you live now the right way here on earth, it's, it has a, a reward when you get to heaven. And so even though you may not see the reward here, there's a reward there. And so we do good, we do right because it pleases God. And then God rewards those who seek him, those that love him, those that honor him. And that reward is, is contained in eternity. So we don't live for the rewards of here. We live for the rewards of there, okay? I'm not living for what I get here. I'm living for the eternal treasures that await me in eternity. Now, based upon that, listen to the Revelation chapter 20, Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, as it describes what's going to happen one day in eternity to all of us. John the Apostle writes, And I saw a great white throne, and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead. And all who were judged, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Amazing verse a sobering verse, but it reminds us of something that awaits us in eternity. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. 
Dear ones, as we're going through trials and tribulations right now in our lives, you're facing difficulties, I know that you are, but I wanna encourage you today to stay focused. Say it again with me, stay focused. How do you stay focused? Guard your faith. Don't let anything take your faith away from you. Keep giving your best. Make sure that mercy and unfailing love are following you, that you're not living life just to get, but you're focused on giving. What am I leaving behind? And then make sure that you're getting ready for forever. Don't live life just for today. Live life for the future and the present trials we face will all be over one day and they will provide for us a reward as we will faithfully walk through them with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together and ask God to seal this word in our heart today. Father, we thank you so much for the challenge today to stay focused. And I pray that every one of us would focus by guarding our faith, that we, we would be people who are always giving our best. And Lord, help us to live with an eternal perspective. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm gonna give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that he will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of his name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.